Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Bruce Staples, and he'll be answering your questions on fly fishing Yellowstone's backcountry. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Bruce a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of those questions tonight as possible. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on the right side of our web pages, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and also hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you've got a moment, do it right now and let other people know about the great show that we're having here tonight. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Bruce Staples about fly fishing Yellowstone's backcountry. Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800 962 9755. Again, that's com, or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Bruce, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Bruce's section that says register for the free drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Bruce's book, Fly Fishing the Greater Yellowstone Backcountry, courtesy of Stackpole Books. And here's how you can win Bruce's book. First, you have to be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question is going to be about something that Bruce and I talk about during the show, and just submit your answer along with your name and location in the form on our home page. It's the same form that you can use to ask questions in during the show. So listen closely, take notes, type fast, and maybe you'll win Bruce Staples' book, Fly Fishing the Greater Yellowstone Backcountry. Our guest tonight is Bruce Staples. Bruce has fished the Greater Yellowstone area for 35 years. His articles have appeared in Fly Tire, American Angler, Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, and Fly Fisher Magazines. He is the author of Flies for Greater Yellowstone Area, Snake River Country, Flies and Waters in Yellowstone Park, and Trout Country Flies, and has contributed to numerous fly fishing and tying books. 
Bruce is a member of the Upper Snake River Fly Fishers in Rexburg, Idaho, and the Snake River Cutthroats of Idaho Falls. He is active in Fly Fishers International and received the Western Rocky Mountain Council FFF Fly Tire of the Year Award in 1990 and the Charlie Brooks Memorial Life Membership in 1998. In 2001, he received the FFF's Buzz Buzzek Memorial Award for Fly Tying Excellence. He's a member of the Whiting Farms and Daichi Pro staffs. Bruce, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you here tonight. And folks, if you hear uh, a little pause from me at times, like you did it just a minute ago, I'm just muting out so I can cough. <laughs> trying to get over a cold here, so just thought I'd let you know if there is a pause. I'm just trying to clear the system out. I uh, appreciate your patience with that. All right, well, let's go, Bruce. We've got lots of questions tonight about the Yellowstone backcountry, and anxious to dig into those. Now, you just published this book, Fly Fishing the Greater Yellowstone Backcountry, and really, I mean, it's, it's like the ultimate guide to the backcountry in the park as well as around the park, correct? That's correct, yeah. You want to elaborate on that a little bit, uh, the areas well, that it's covering? I see a question here about what is considered the greater Yellowstone area. That's kind of subjective. <laughs> It kind of depends who you're talking to and what kind of money they're trying to make. Uh, you can say, in general, the northeast corner of southeast Idaho, which is essentially Fremont County and Teton County, northwest Wyoming, and probably southwest Montana. For the purposes of uh, something like this book, you know, fly fishing, that pretty much covers it. Yeah, because nature doesn't just end where uh, the park boundaries are, right? <laughs> oh, I no, mean, nature doesn't end, but when you get outside the park boundaries, that's where alteration by man begins. You know, right. Nevertheless, there's still a lot of very good natural country. Yeah, now, when you said northwest, western Wyoming, I mean, the park is north, the northwestern Wyoming corner, right? So are we talking, like, below that, the Snake River area in there? The Tetons right in there? Is that what we're talking about? For Yeah, you're talking Wyoming? about the yeah. Tetons. You're talking about the National Forest just east of the park, the National Forest area south and southeast of the park, and then in the state of Idaho, the National Forest area adjacent to the park on its western boundary and uh, southwestern boundary. That pretty much covers it from the standpoint of, well, from a fishing point of view. Right, right. Now, you focused in your book really getting away from the main fisheries that we all know so well in that area, the Madison, the Firehole, and so forth. And you're looking at uh, getting back away from those, looking at the tributaries running into those and so forth. Is that? Well, yeah, tributaries running into those and waters by themselves pretty much. You know, nothing's been really done in a comprehensive manner to get all that stuff under one cover, and that's essentially what I did. The book came out in 2017, by the way. But there's so much to see and to enjoy in these waters, and some of them, I rate them as the same or even better quality than the icon waters like the ones you just mentioned, mm -hmm. simply because they're in a more natural setting. Yeah, yeah, and you get away from the parking lots and so forth. In those areas, what does it take to get away from the crowds? I mean, I've heard people, and I've experienced too, you know, you get 
even sometimes just 100 yards away from a trailhead, and you're losing people left and right. It doesn't take too much to get back in there, does it? Well, yeah, there's some places where there's a road fairly adjacent, and you walk maybe a quarter of a mile. And there's other places like, say, Heart Lake Basin in the park. You better figure on at least, bare minimum, an overnight trip. And, of course, that requires all paperwork and everything you have to do to get there, Yellowstone Park paperwork, getting <laughs> permits for a campsite, and you have for people, et cetera, et cetera. And there's only a certain time a year that the fishing's worth experiencing. We can get into that a little later when we talk about the lakes and all. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of paperwork in the park, huh? Whenever there didn't used to be. Yeah, but yeah. I would suggest anybody looking at backcountry fishing in a sense where they're going to be camping overnight, get into the park website and follow the steps and reserve campsites in the area you're going. You know, try to pick one and reserve it as soon as possible, like even this month. It didn't used to be that way, but see, this area is getting so popular. I mean, it's the last bastion of really good cold water fisheries in the country, or in the lower 48 anyways. And so yeah. there's people that, hey, I've got the wherewithal, i got the means, I'm going to go there and fish it. And, you know, that's increasing all the time, just experiences. As soon as you can reserve a campsite, as soon as you can get your permits you know, as quickly as possible is the best information I can offer. Yeah, we, uh, Julie and I were just reserving campgrounds here in Colorado for June because they will only let you reserve six months in advance. And so you almost have to be there with your button on the computer ready to go to get those reservations done. Yeah, it's, um, like you say, you and I, we remember the days when you just, grabbed your pack and you went, right? No paperwork, oh, yeah. no reservation. Yeah, 1980s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I remember going and I went to school in Santa Barbara, California for college. And we took a little trip there. This was 1972. We went to Yosemite Park there. And I noticed they already had trails paved there in the park. And I asked <laughs> the ranger, why are the trails paved? I've never seen this before. He says, because we get millions of people through here every year. And that was back then. So, you know, California was kind of like a precursor to the Rockies, I think. And we may end up seeing that as well. But now I guess you can't even drive into Yosemite. You have to take a shuttle. That'll probably happen in Yellowstone, too, at some point, I suppose. God uh, forbid. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's just too many people, not enough land, right? Not enough yeah. water. Well. Let's talk about some of these places because you found and put in your book some of these great backcountry areas that are good to fish and get you away from people. Now, the areas that you define in your book that we were just talking about, is there any commonality within those areas as far as the topography or the type of fishing, or is it pretty diverse in each of those areas? Well, it's diverse, but then there's some commonality. Let's look at meadow streams, for example. You've got in this area several meadow streams. A lot of people think of the Lamar River, which is roadside and therefore crowded, or Slough Creek. But, you know, these have roads right next to them and everything, but commonality doesn't end in places like that. If you get down the southwest corner, Fall River Basin, you've got uh, meadow stream, you've got meadow sections. Of course, Beckler Meadows is huge, and Boundary Creek and Beckler River. And then on the Fall River side, you've got a series of stair-step meadows uh, on Fall River itself. And then 
the Meadow Reach on Mountain Ash Creek, and these are all off the beaten path. You know, I'm talking about walking at least a mile, and in some cases maybe three or four miles to get to these. Another example is Duck Creek in Yellowstone Park. It's a beautiful meadow stream, and it's not really that far a walk, maybe a quarter to a half a mile at the most to approach it. But, yeah, uh, South Fork of the Madison River, just above the South Fork Arm of Hebgen Lake. You know, these are all meadow streams in the sense that they're common. And other than that, we have streams of gradient. Of course, the fire hole is probably one of the most famous, along with the Yellowstone River and the Madison itself and the lower Black River in Idaho, not the one in Montana. But, yeah, there's this commonality in things with respect to uh, the character of the streams, for sure. Yeah, in those areas, yeah, yeah. Joe in Colorado Springs asked, how do you locate quality backcountry fishing areas? And, you know, before the show we were talking about, you know, the book will help. But how is the best way, for instance, to use your book? I mean, there are a lot of places to fish. I mean, the book is just one after another, hundreds of pages. So Yeah, uh, how and I you... didn't cover all of I didn't cover every single water. I didn't you know, <laughs> okay. I didn't keep some secret. Yeah. But uh, yeah. beyond that Sometimes, some of the shops, you got to realize they're in the business, they're, you know, they're trying to make money, but sometimes a shop in the area will help you, like the shops in West Yellowstone. The thing to do would be Google West Yellowstone fly shops or Jackson, Wyoming fly shops, and then go ahead and talk to those people when the shops are identified. Uh, a really excellent shop for help getting into the backcountry and fishing is Jimmy's All Seasons Angler in Idaho Falls, Idaho. His website is, if we're recording this, I'll say it, is jimmysflyshop.com. And he can help. He doesn't guide, but he has employees like myself that are very experienced in fishing area waters, whether they're uh, streams or still waters or, you know, anything like that, even, even ice fishing if you so desire. But that would be one way to start, would be to, to go to the shops and see what they offer. Yeah, I think that's the right thing to do wherever you go in the world, right? I mean, talk to the locals, and, you know, it's always nice to buy a few flies, if nothing else, while you're in the shop to help them out. And But, yeah, there's a wealth of information, right? It's Well, uh, you'll probably, if you do a little bit of shopping within, you'll probably get more extensive information and better quality information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any shot. Yeah. One, yeah, one fly, uh, one sentence. Five flies, you get a 15-minute talk. <laughs> 20 flies, it's a half an hour, right? No, I, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and a pair of uh, yeah. $500 waiters, you you might uh, the rest of the day information. You know, so bring your, <laughs> yeah. bring your pad and That's pencil. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going to the shops, yeah, but in your book, is it broken out into – I mean, it's broken down into those major sections that we talked, but is it just pretty much browse through the book, or is there some other way to use it? I would say begin by what are you interested in personally? Are you interested in streams? Are you interested in still waters? Are you interested in the Madison River drainage? Are you interested in, um, say, uh, Fall River Basin in the park or Heart Lake Basin? There's sections. You know, Just go through and look at the ones you think you're interested in. And there's a wealth of information there. I can pass on my uh, email address if somebody has specific questions. My email address is bstaples9740 at gmail.com. And if you read the book, or well, whether or not you read it, you have questions, 
You can email me. Also, another one, you could email jimmies at ida.net, the same thing, because the employees down there are very experienced in maybe still water fishing or streams or meadow streams or spring creeks or what. You know, we have people that have a lot of experience in all types of waters. Bruce, could you yeah. give us your email address again slowly? Yeah, it's bstaples. 9740 at gmail.com. Okay, good, good. That's a piece of gold there, folks, if you're going to be going to that area. I did notice that you took advantage of a lot of experts in that area. I see, like, Doug Gibson here. Doug has been around forever, hasn't he? I mean, even before he's been ever. Around, yeah, he's been around <laughs> forever, and the guy knows what he's talking about. He was a head guide at Three Rivers Ranch for years. Now he's kind of a, oh, a guide emeritus or something. You know, he ties flies for them. He introduces people to drift boating and, you know, uh, customer relations and everything. What a great guy he is. He's oh, really yeah. terrific. But, yeah, superb fly tire and a world of knowledge on the Teton River drainage. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed him on my show a while back, and yeah, just incredible, you know, and I think we talked about the, the flies that he used, and he has just a very select group of flies that he used, and he says, I can catch fly, I can catch fish on these flies anytime. I don't need 500 flies. All I need is this, like, eight or nine flies. I was just amazed at his confidence in that. It showed that he was such an expert fly fisherman that he just knew what he was doing, you could tell, the years well, of experience he is, of being on the Yeah, water. he is that, but beyond that, he is probably one of the unsung fabulous fly tires in this area. Hmm. And, you know, sure he can guide. He knows the Teton River and the Henry Ford Grain is like the back of his hand. He also is a superb fly tire. And, yeah, besides that, he's a gentleman. Yeah, yeah. I also see Bob Jack, Jacqueline in here helping you out with some descriptions. Another huge icon in that area, West Yellowstone. Certainly. Yeah, and uh, I think you, didn't you write a book with him as well? Yeah, the book came out in July. It's called Fly Fishing West Yellowstone, A History and Guide. And, again, it's published by Stackpole, and most of the shops around here have it, or else uh, Amazon has it too, you know, so it's, it's readily available. It's a little different and uh, has a different uh, direction than the backcountry book, but, you know, it does things like, Oh, it preserves a lot of the old famous flies from tires of yesterday, like Don Martinez and Charlie Brooks, people like that, mm -hmm. Craig Matthews, blue ribbon flies and everything. It's got information in there on flies that have been around for decades, as well as information on the waters. And, of course, the history of the, um, the progress of uh, fly fishing personalities in the town of West Yellowstone. Uh, yeah, yeah, lots of them there, that's for sure, yeah. Well, we need to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll start digging into some of these questions about the backcountry areas and see if we can help some of these people out. So hang tight. We'll be right back. There are not many places in the world where you can fly fish for permit, tarpon, bonefish, and snook, all within a few miles of each other, but you can in Belize. When you fish with Charlie Leslie fly fishing, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest fly fishing in Belize. You'll start out from Placencia and take just a 30-minute boat ride to your lodging on the island. 
And once you're there, you'll be fishing lagoons full of tarpon and targeting permit on the flats of Permit Alley. Bonefish and snook are ready for your cast as well. Charlie Leslie, with over 50 years of experience in the waters of Belize, his son Marlon Leslie and their other hand-picked guides know the local waters like no others. Book your next Belize adventure now with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing. Visit charlielesleyflyfishing.com or call 303-430-4634. Again, that's charlielesleyflyfishing.com or call 303-430-4634. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Bruce Staples about fly fishing Yellowstone's backcountry. If you'd like to ask Bruce a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay, Bruce, we've got Zoran in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, wanting to know about can you safely bike fish and camp in Yellowstone backcountry if you want to go out for a couple of weeks or something. Is that possible? Well, not within the parks, uh, not within Yellowstone Park. Pretty much illegal to use bikes on any backcountry trails, and if you want to check that for sure, go to the park website. But our national forests around here, yeah, many of these uh, trails that are, you know, maintained, they're maintained for horses, bikes, and, of course, foot travel. And some good examples of these would be the Palisade Reservoir tributaries like Bear Creek. There's a very good biking trail up Bear Creek. These are described in my book, Palisades Creek. You can bike up Palisades Creek, which comes into the Snake River just below Palisades Dam. Big Elk Creek, for example, these are all very good trails, and I've been fishing and noticed bikers on them as well as people on horseback. So it pretty much depends. You know, within the park, the answer is most likely no, but outside the park, there's several places. The best thing to do would be to to look at the national park, you know, specific websites for Targhee National Forest, Bridger Teton, or any of the national forests in the greater Yellowstone area. Okay. All right. Harold Wilson in Forest, Virginia, wrote in, and he says, I'm 67 years old and good health. I have done it all in fly fishing, but now I'm at a point that backcountry hiking and fly fishing is what I'm excited about. Having not done it before, I want to hike in and spend some nights and hike out. What's your best piece of advice? My location will probably be around West Yellowstone this summer. If he's around West Yellowstone, I'm trying to think probably the best location might be to uh, go to the, let's see, that would be uh, Cliff Lake. And the name of the resort on Cliff Lake, I'm trying to think of. But anyway, there's a trail that goes out of that, out of, Oh, it's called the Wilderness Edge. Tell them to look up the Wilderness Edge uh, Recreation Camp website. It's in southwest Montana. And from there, there's a trail that goes down a hidden lake. It's about a six-mile walk, and you'd have to do an overnighter. You can fish Hidden Lake, Goose and Otter Lake. Hidden Lake, you'd probably have to find places you can wade the shoreline. It's a pretty large lake, and to get out of it, you need a boat of some kind, which is possible. But... Goose and Otter Lakes, you can, they're smaller and you can fish from shore. But that would be one example I can think of right away. Other than, you know, from West Yellowstone, if you're down here in the area of southeastern Idaho, the Snake River drainage, you can backpack up Palisades Creek. You can backpack up Big Elk Creek. You can do the same thing up Bear Creek. 
And these all offer uh, cutthroat trout fishing. Nothing else pretty much, but it's possible to do something like that. You're talking of walks of maybe up to about three or four or five miles at the most. But those would be good candidates that I'm aware of right now. Okay, okay. Jonathan Cooley in Oregon asks, which rivers would be good for Tenkara, and are any appropriate for, for spay rods? Well, spay rods, the big rivers, you know, the Madison, there's places on the Madison, on, on the Yellowstone, that spay rods could be appropriate simply because they're large rivers. Beyond that, I can't think of anything in the greater Yellowstone area. You know, the Gallatin really isn't all that big a river to get way downstream by Big Sky. But with respect to Tenkara, you know, Tenkara is useful on creeks, not on large rivers, or it's most useful on creeks, I should say. And there's an almost unbelievable number of those. Uh, I'll give some examples like Obsidian Creek in Yellowstone Park and also Fan Creek in Yellowstone Park. And then in East Idaho, some of the Palisade Reservoir tributaries, uh, Palisades Creek, Big Elk Creek, they'd be appropriate for Tenkara, you know, uh, you don't have to cast very far, essentially what it is. It's almost like some of the old Irish fishing was done the same way. But with respect to spay rods, I don't use one because I'm able to get out a good enough distance. Actually, I don't need a spay rod to do something like that. But, yeah, on the bigger rivers like the Yellowstone River and maybe the Madison River, yeah, they'd be appropriate. Yeah, yeah. And there is, I know, actually a, a client of mine, Olympic Peninsula Skagit Tactics makes trout spay rods in, you know, five, four or five weight area. And they might be uh, good for spay on the smaller streams as well. They're kind of new technology moving in that direction. Yeah. And then we have Doug in California. He says, if I want to day hike into a lake to catch grayling, which do you recommend, Cascade or Wolf Lake, and why? Also a consideration if I want to persuade less physically fit family members to do it, which lake is better? Uh, probably if you've got less physically fit family members, Cascade Lake is about a mile and a half hike at the absolute most, and it's flat. And this grayling in the grayling and cuts, Yellowstone cuts, Greed Lake is probably the best one for grayling, but that's a four-mile walk. Again, it's flat and all, but... Cascade Lake, you can fish from shore. The whole north shoreline is like a sloping meadow. Don't need waders or anything. Grebe Lake, you can do a bit of wading, but you got the four-mile walk, so the people that are not in the best physical shape, may, who knows, maybe somebody you may have to carry out. But the grayling fishing right. is better. You know, I don't know much about Wolf Lake. It's a much smaller version than Grebe, but Grebe is probably the best one from the standpoint of you know, chances of grayling. encountering grayling. Yeah, Grieb. Okay. Kurt uh, Finlayson, Cache Valley, Utah, wrote in and says, how are the cutthroat doing and what was their peak population? When and what was their lowest population and what is the population now? How are the cutthroat doing in the park? Well, he's probably, sounds to me like his question's directed towards the Yellowstone River system. And okay. uh, they've spent gobs of money on removing the lake trout and there was not much they could do about whirling disease. That combination hit really bad. And I'm not sure how low the population went, but it, it came down to being a fraction of what it used to be. But all the money they spent on eliminating lake trout and also doing some research and come up with some very good technical approaches, 
They've pulled out maybe half a million lake trout since they started the program in the late 90s out of Yellowstone wow. Lake. And so we're seeing an improvement. You know, there's not as many cutthroat in that system, but there are larger fish. The lake or the river can support just so many pounds of fish. So you got fewer fish, you know, that means more pounds per fish. One other thing that's positive is they've opened up Pelican Creek again, which other than the river itself was the main tributary, spawning tributary. You know, it's only a fraction of what it used to be. You'd go up there and a 40-fish day was common. Of course, they're all jaded because they've spawned running back down the lake. But apparently Pelican Creek, you know, is getting to the point where they say, yeah, you go up there and fish. Of course, it's all catch and release. But I would say... Things are improving, but they're always going to have to be taking the lake trout out because they haven't got all of them yet. <laughs> that's out right, of the lake. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's a half a million fish. My gosh. Hmm. Well, no yeah, idea. but yeah. yeah, they've been doing. They've come up with methods, you know. Now that there's a one that's the Judas fish that they can follow it into where the they can spawn, and there's all sorts of things they've done over the years. But see, that program's been going for at least 20 years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah. you divide you know, half a million or a million fish by 20, you know, and see something reasonable. There's pictures on their website of the size of some of these lake trout that have been in there. But yeah. it's improving, I'll say that much. Okay. We got a question in here on the Internet, Gregory Goff and Saluda. He says, when fishing for grayling in Grebe or Cascade Lakes, what type of fly and size do you recommend? I would be fishing there in August, September time frame. I heard smaller is better for grayling. Yeah, that's true to a point. Uh, well, when the speckled down emergences start coming out, you know, in July, you want uh, life cycle patterns for the speckled downs, you know, of your nymphs. And fly selection is so subjective and everything. But, you know, I can answer that best by saying uh, damselfly life cycle patterns, speckled down life cycle patterns, Bluing olives probably to a lesser degree. There is some meadow reaches along the shoreline, so maybe a few terrestrials. In the fall of the year when the flying ants come out, you want to have ant patterns. You know, all, all the lakes that have that hatch going on, you know, ant patterns become extremely important. Hmm. Okay, okay. So hopefully that will help Greg out. Bob Twombly in Bath, Maine. I wrote in, and he says, having been to Yellowstone a dozen times over the last 20 years, much of my fishing has been confined to the famous waters, Madison, Firehole, Gibbon, Slough, and Lamar. What river system in Yellowstone would you recommend that is not in this list that an angler of middle age and good physical condition could try for a day trip? Maybe a question answered by the season, so let's say mid, mid-August into September. Oh, definitely Fall River Basin in the southwest corner of the park, and that's in the book, too. There's descriptions of all the waters in there. If anything, even though it's a further walk to get into it, well, I shouldn't say that because the upper two meadows of Slough Creek is the same distance. I think Beckler River outshines Slough Creek a lot. Now, the reason why is the lower part of Slough Creek is paralleled by a road. You know, it's not far from the northeast entrance, whereas... uh, Fall River Basin, meaning Beckler River, Boundary Creek, Fall River itself, and Mountain Ash Creek, you've got to hike a ways to get into these, into the best waters. And that keeps a lot of people out. But Slough Creek, I don't think, can compare to Beckler River. Uh, Beckler's a larger stream, and it's more isolated. 
the fish are different. The fish there are the cutthroat rainbow hybrids, and occasionally you get a native cut that's come down from above. But I think it's probably more of a stream of the quality he's looking for because Slough Creek is getting so darn popular. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I think I've heard the state of Colorado wants to annex it, you know, just because of so many people <laughs> going there. <laughs> but uh, I would recommend he try Fall River Basin. Yeah, And that's yeah, covered in the good. book, too. Yeah, now, talking about crowds and so forth, too, it, it's a matter of, of season, right? I mean, um, yeah. two years well, ago, my buddy went there, and we were in the park, and it was last week of September, first week of October, and there were not that many people there fishing. I mean, even the oh, bigger waters. Yeah. yeah, well, that's correct to a point. What happens in the Madison River system, you've got brown and rainbow trout, coming into the park to spawn from Hebgen Lake. Right. And the Madison Reach is, is getting awfully crowded. I used to fish a lot in October up above Baker's Hole Campground, between Baker's Hole Campground and the Barnes Holes. And I might see two or three other people in there. Now you go in there and there's three or four people stacked in one hole waiting for somebody to catch a fish, and they rotate through there, you know, like musical chairs. And right. Right. So October gets pretty crowded in that neck of the woods, and also on the, the Lewis River system, too, it gets crowded because of that brown trout run, which is actually has more brown trout than the run up the Madison River. But, yeah, that mm. time of year gets crowded, too. There might be a lull a little bit in the first part of September. You know, kids are going back to school, people are going back to jobs, et cetera, et cetera, but they come back here first of October and through the month of October, they're you can't get a hotel room in West Yellowstone because everybody that's come in there stay in there so they go up and fish the the, uh, the Madison River. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, yeah, it depends on Barnes Hole thing. Yeah, we, it was crowded there, that's for sure. But still, oh, yeah. you can walk down the river and, and get away a, a ways. Of course, when, when we talk crowded, I remember my dad and I went back to Alaska and to a place we used to fish when I was a kid, and he and I used to be the only person on a one-mile stretch there in the river. And when we went back in, like, 2006, it was shoulder to shoulder. It was like the pictures of the East Coast on opening day. Um, yeah, Connecticut so, opening day, New Jersey opening yeah, day, yeah. <laughs> to, to me, that's not fishing. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's, uh, everything depends, right? Mm -hmm. A question from Phil McCartney in Kentucky here. Phil asks, has the fishing after ice off, I guess, how is the fishing after ice off in the lakes in the Yellowstone backcountry, has it been predictably uh, terrific? I can talk most probably about the lakes in the Lewis River system, and that would be Shoshone Lake. If you can get in there right after ice off, the fishing is terrific. And ice off is something that's hard to find. You might have to contact the park, Yellowstone Park, get on their website and talk to appropriate people. But at a minimum, you walk three miles down to Lacey Creek, and you got to carry a float tube. Fishing from shoreline in uh, both Lewis Lake, well, not so much in Lewis, but at Shoshone Lake, a two or three fish day is good. If you get out in some kind of flotation device that you can backpack in, you know, 20 and 30 fish days are common. Mostly what you're catching is juvenile lake trout, an occasional trophy brown trout, and a very, very occasional brook trout. But, uh, yeah, on Shoshone Lake in particular, with respect to some of the other lakes around, Yellowstone Lake itself is good fishing. 
that's a good place to catch uh, lake trout. And if you catch them, you got to keep them. And the Park Service will actually give you a gold star for your forehead if you show them, hey, I've caught these lake trout. You know, to help us take them out of the lake. Beulah yeah, Lake, Herring yeah. Lake, it all depends when when the road is open, when the trail is open. Just uh, so much of it depends on when winter ends, you know. But, yeah, after right, right after rice out on certain lakes, yeah, the fishing can be very good. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a, a quick break here, Bruce, and we'll come back and uh, – there were a couple other questions on float tubing, so I want to hit those when we come back. So hang tight, everybody, okay. and we'll be back in just a minute. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies oh. and fly-tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable, synthetic, and natural materials to create flies and catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you'd like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Do a little shopping today. Visit epflies.com. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Bruce Staples about fly fishing Yellowstone's backcountry. If you'd like to ask Bruce a question, just go to our homepage, fill out that form, and we'll uh, try to answer your question tonight on the show. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to skip to some lake questions here since we were kind of talking about sure. that for a minute. Yeah, Steve Bush in Moscow, Idaho asked, has Shoshone Lake maintained its good numbers and size of rainbows over the year? <laughs> There's no rainbows in Shoshone Lake. In fact, I don't know of any well, I guess rainbows. the answer is just, no. Yeah, no, it's a big <laughs> fat no. I mean, there's not, nothing close. It's all, like I said before, it's all uh, mostly juvenile max. Brown trout and very, very occasional brook trout. That's okay. it. Okay. And then Jeff in Twin Falls, Idaho, what are some good lakes to float tube in Yellowstone? You already mentioned a couple of those, but you want to elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah, of course, Shoshone Lake, Trout Lake in the northeast corner. It's only a six-tenths of a mile walk. It's uphill. But if you can carry a flotation device in there, you have a chance to some very large cutthroat and cutthroat rainbow hybrids. Two of my favorites would be uh, Beulah Lake and Herring Lake at the hedge of the uh, top of Fall River Drainage. And these are all covered in the book, you know, the strategy, when the season's open, you know, when the best time to fish is and, and all. But uh, I would say those mm -hmm. two lakes are, they're superb. Beulah Lake, in season, say July and August, 1st of September, 30 and 40 fish days are on, are common. The fish aren't that big. They may get up to uh, 18, 19 inches, but it's pretty unique. It's, you know, a two-and-a-half-mile walk to get into um, Beulah, and Herring is about a quarter-mile further. But those would be two that I would strongly consider. And, again, I gave you my uh, email address and the address for Jimmy's All-Seasons Angler. We can give you more detailed information on any of those lakes up there, uh, Hidden Lake, uh, Riddle Lake, these are all good ones for float tubing. Actually, right. uh, Elk Lake in Montana is a good one, too. So uh, Cliff Lake, Elk Lake, uh, Wade Lake, all of those, the Grabman Lakes. Again, they're all covered in the book. Okay. John Dietz in Aspen wrote in, he says, can you fish any of the tributaries, creeks that go into the Yellowstone Lake in the fall or the spring? And then he asked about how badly the lake trout have affected that. You kind of talked to that already. But what yeah, about the, yeah. the tributaries and creeks? Yeah. Well, probably the best tributary is 
like I say, is Pelican Creek as well as the, the river itself. But what happens is the fish will go up early in the year to spawn, and then when that's done, they get back down to these into the lake itself. So you go up, say, Pelican Creek or the river itself in the month of August and maybe the second half of July, and the fishing is very, very slow because the fish have moved back down to the lake. It's much more hospitable than these rivers. So what happens is you want to get into these as soon as they open up, like Pelican Creek opens up July 15th. You know, uh, be up there as early as possible. It's the same thing for a lot of places in the park where they're protecting cutthroat trout. The season opens a little bit later, so we don't interfere with their spawning season. Right, right, yeah. He also asked, are there many fly fishermen targeting the Mackinac at certain times of the year? Oh, yeah. And, you know, the time to do that is early in the year, like we just mentioned, ice out. And, you know, they make terrific table fare. Of course, you don't want to take them out in the heat of summer. You take them out in the spring when things are cool. You know, if you're walking Shoshone Lake, you know, three-mile walk, or you go in by once. We used to go in by canoe and spend three or four days in there. Of course, we always finish up with a big uh, fish fry and the Mackinac, where they were the subject or anything. But, yeah, the thing, if you're carrying fish out, you want to do it during the cool weather. Otherwise, it'll spoil. You know, even the, your dog will turn his nose up at what you give him there. But that's pretty yeah. much it. Late in the year, yeah, the tributaries to uh, Yellowstone Lake are pretty much devoid of fish. Are there any techniques you use specific to the Mackinac? Yeah, things like uh, leech patterns, fly rod jigs, and what you do is you look for submerged weed beds around that lake. And, you know, you do the same in, um, well, yeah, Beulah Lake, you do the same too. But pretty much look for the weed beds, and usually a darker color than the substrate in the lakes. But you fish around these weed beds, you know, sit off them away in your flotation device and cast towards them. And the fish will concentrate there in these weed beds because they're a good location for food, scuds, leeches, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Full sink okay. line. Okay. Full sink. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bill in Wyoming asks, how's the fishing at Hart Lake, and is the brown fishing holding up at Lewis Lake? The brown fishing seems to be holding up pretty well in, in the Lewis Lake and in the Lewis River system period. But Hart Lake, I can say back in the 1980s, the basin itself, that's a lake, the creeks, uh, Beaver Creek, uh, Witch Creek, and the river itself coming out, it's the best inland trout fishing I've experienced anywhere. Fall River Basin included. <laughs> We'd get in there early. It was back when we could go in in the month of June. The fishing was just terrific. That was just right after ice out, too. So the fish were in the shallows, whether they were cuts, snake river fine-spotted cuts, or lake trout. You could catch lake trout in the shallows. I, I particularly remember about 11-pound lake trout uh, caught maybe 40, 50 feet out from the shoreline. Yeah, so much of this is seasonal, too, especially now, like Heart Lake Basin doesn't open up until July 1, whereas in the past it opened up a general season. I can remember slogging through snow uh, for maybe a half a mile or so just to get in there. But the fishing was yeah. such that, hey, I'm going to go there. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, uh, just got in, Kurt wrote in on the Internet here, 
what time is a good time to fish Pelican Creek? And you just said uh, right, right as soon as it opens, right? As soon as it's yeah, that's open. usually middle of July. July 15th is usually the opening, and it'll be on the park website if they've changed it. Who knows, you know. But you want to get in there, I would say, the first couple of weeks of July, and later than that you go in there, say, in the second half of July or from then on, and the fishing just it goes to heck in a handbox because most of the fish are back down in the lake. Yeah, yeah. Another question came in on the Internet since we're talking about the Yellowstone Lake area. Greg Goff in Saluda, South Carolina, he's asking, when fishing Yellowstone Lake, do you recommend hiring a guide with a boat from the local marina? I've only fished that lake from the shore for long periods of time without success. Conversely, my brother-in-law once went with his buddies with a local guide, and they slammed the Yellowstone Cuddies. What's your suggestion, recommendation for catching yeah, Yellowstone Yeah, I, I, I would say, see, yeah, the problem is is uh, most of the, the smaller cuts, you know, the younger cuts live out in the deeper water, whereas the larger cuts cruise the shoreline. But because the numbers are down, uh, you're not going to find as many fish cruising the shorelines. But if you hire a guide that knows what he's doing up there and gets you out in a boat or something, yeah, you can... Uh, you can probably do fairly well now, but you got to realize it's yeah. only a fraction of what it used to be. But if the guide knows where to go and everything, yeah, you can have some good fishing, and the fish will be larger than they were 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. We've got quite a few. I'm going to hit this now because we've had more questions coming on the Internet about this. And, and some of the questions I sent you in advance of the show, Bruce, about safety with bears, bison, elk, a whole lot. Do you want to talk to that, what you do and how you prepare and, and how you handle your safety? Yeah, yeah. Well, I deal with that in the book, but there's easy things you can do. You know, bear spray is definitely, you know, needed. But beyond that, to me, just because it's easy, I carry a little klaxon horn. You can find these at any marine shops, you know, like even at a Walmart or uh, any of the outdoor shops, especially ones devoted to uh, to water sports, you little klaxon horn, you know, you stick it in the pocket. And I talk about this in the book, but the noise they make is unearthly, and it carries forever, and it carries over, the noise it makes carries over a rushing stream. But if something like a bear hears that, they're going to get out of your way because, hey, that's unusual. And, you know, unless you come on to a female with cubs or a bear eating off a carcass, they're not going to try to, they'll try to defend in those instances. So you, you got to keep away from that. But just to, you know, meet a casual animal like that, I always carry that klaxon horn. And so that lessens my chances of having to use the bear spray. The other thing you should do if you're going in the back country is let the appropriate rangers know, hey, I'm going into this part of Slough Creek. I'm going to the third meadow above. I'm going to be there for two days. I've got this permit at this campsite. I want you guys to know in case something happens. But the other thing that's come along in the last 10 years are these portable electric distress beacons. And I think you talked about one down in the uh, canyon below uh, Glen Canyon Dam. But uh, you can find these in any of the outdoor shops. They can lead you to these, you know, something like if you've fallen and damaged yourself such that you can't get out or, you know, something like that has happened. One of these distress beacons, you know, they relay a signal up to a satellite. That sends it to, you know, you subscribe to maybe your home or a relative or some, give them that address and, and all. But you look at things like this, but 
to be on the spot, you know, let the Rangers know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. And well, how the, long you the play horn the thing, Yeah, you know, you mentioned this horn. I've not heard that before, but that makes sense because I would think that would work a lot further away than bear spray would. You know? Oh, heck yeah. Uh, you, you can, one of these horns, you can hear it, you know, like a quarter mile away. And I don't yeah. know how many bears I've gotten out of my way because of it. I've only had a couple of grizzly bear incidents in the park. One of them I wish I'd maybe had. I got so close to the bear, but it turned out to be a benign bear. You know, it surprised me. But if I'd had that horn, I bet I never would have seen that bear. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I recommend everybody consider that for anything in the backcountry. I don't care yeah. whether it's in the park or adjacent to the park. You know, we have bears. In fact, uh, there's been we've had bear incidents up here in Fremont County and Idaho and Teton County and in Wyoming. It's almost like they're commonplace. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I could see it just having it along with your car camping and stuff. You know, I mean, we've had oh, moose yeah. come yeah. into our camps and stuff and get the moose out of there. Yeah, uh, this thing is, you know, it's it's ten bucks. You know, ten yeah. bucks in the fifth in the shirt pocket or a vest pocket, huh. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I have to I have to look into that. Good. Okay. Um, Don't swear by it. Yeah, and I guess this, the same thing applies to elk. I mean, bison can be pretty dangerous as well in the park, right? Oh, certainly, yeah. I've been trapped in uh, Meal Shoe Bend on the Firehole River years ago. We had to come out in the dark because of a herd of buffalo cut us off. We couldn't get around there. But not only that, but, you know, you don't even get close to them. And if they start running and stampeding, you damn well better get out of the way quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, is that, I mean, as far as them, just go the other direction, just get, steer away, yeah. right? I mean, and if you're they're an area not going to attack you. Yeah, if you're in an area that they frequent, you know, like, say, uh, around Hayden Valley on, on the Yellowstone River or, you know, the Firehole River, just go in there being aware, you know, I better make an escape for me. And if you see them around the river, you know, hey, look at it this way. You're the intruder. You know, they've been yeah. there for longer than people have. You're the intruder. If they tromp on you, it's because they think you're intruding on them. You know, just if they're, hey, my favorite hole, something like that, forget about it until they move out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the last time I fished in the fire hole there. There were a lot of bison around there. But we just kind of kept them in our periphery vision, and they started getting closer. We started moving off. But, yeah, it wasn't a big problem. But, uh, yeah, just keep an eye on them. Okay. Let's see. We've got... Yeah, here's, here's an Andy Cordova, Reno, Nevada. Where in the park would you go if you wanted an easy hike, senior citizen here, that you would give the opportunity to catch some grayling? Well, we talked about grayling before, so that Cascade really goes Lake. back to Cascade. Yeah. Okay, so there yeah. you go, Andy. Edward in Wisconsin, I really enjoy going deep into the backcountry to avoid crowds. What area do you recommend if backpacking several miles into the backcountry is not an issue? I've been to Sloop Creek a couple of times was disappointed by the amount of people I saw coming down from the ranch north of the park. Recommendations for Edward? Fall River Basin. Above and beyond anything else, all through the summer, starting in the end of June right up until middle October, Fall River Basin. Okay, okay. Deckler Ranger Um, Station. (laughs) Deckler Ranger Station. I'll check in with them. Yeah. So let's take another quick break here and... When we come back, we'll uh, start finishing up with the rest of the questions here. So hang tight, Bruce. Be right back. Okay. 
Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with the restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, and to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your support. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Bruce Staples about fly fishing Yellowstone's backcountry. If you'd like to ask a question, just go to our homepage, fill out that form, and we'll see if we can't get an answer tonight. Treg wrote in here in Moscow. He says, have you ever had to use bear spray? No, I haven't. No. Never, in all the years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I never have. I've had a couple situations where I thought about it, you know, but I never have. And part of the reason why is I carry that Claxon horn. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to get one of those, that's for sure. Yeah, last time I was up there, I had the bear spray on my hip, and Mm -hmm. I wasn't interested in using it at all. (laughs) Okay, let's see here. Scott Nelson in Portland, Oregon, says, thanks for being here, Bruce. I have your books, too. How has climate change affected the greater Yellowstone ecosystem? How has this changed the fishing? How about the wildlife? And he says, you know, I worked for the, the YT company in the summer of 1966. Bears were everywhere. <laughs> well, the bears are more than everywhere now. There's a lot more of them. But, yeah, they're getting concerned about climate change. What's happening is is the winters are shorter and not as severe as they used to be. And also they're finding a lot of the still waters seem to be warming up. For example, uh, Henry's Lake here in, you know, in Fremont County, extreme northeast corner of southeast Idaho, they've measured warming temperatures. From what I've heard, they've seen the same thing happening in the park, and they're getting concerned Now, you stop and think, you know, uh, the amount of dissolved oxygen in water is inversely proportional to temperature, and who needs dissolved oxygen the most? The larger the fish are, the more they need it. And so if the lakes warm up, it means that there's less dissolved oxygen, and that means the lake's going to be less hospitable for larger trout. If this keeps on going, it could affect how big or how large Cold water species, trout, uh, char, even whitefish, how big they get. In the long run, this could happen. And, of course, with the wildlife, the thing changes, climate changes affecting them, too, in a manner I'm, I don't think I'm ready to comment about. But, you know, since we're, this is mainly around fishing, that's one of the things specific to fishing I see is, you know, warming waters means less dissolved oxygen, which is needed by the larger the fish is, the more they need dissolved oxygen. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shreg wrote in here on the internet. He says, when do you have to start worrying about the snow flying? 
Well, I've got snowed on July in Yellowstone Park, the Fall River Basin. <laughs> but the weather up here varies so much, and you're at a high elevation, so you can have snow almost any time of the year. Of course, it's going to be here today, gone tomorrow, or here today, gone in the next hour in the uh, July and August time frame. But I've walked out of Fall River Basin in the uh, first part of September, right after Labor Day. I've walked out of there in three inches of snow. You know, it depends on the weather. And that's one of the reasons why I mentioned in that book and any other conversations I have is look at the weather. If you plan to go in the backcountry, look at what the weather predictions are going to be and act accordingly. You still there? Yeah, yeah, still here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, last time we uh, it was up in the park, it was at the end of a trip where we did a loop from Casper, Wyoming, up to the Bighorn and over to the Madison and into the park. And we were staying in the KOA campground in West Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And we, we were going to the bathroom. We saw this flyer posted on their window at the KOA. And it said, and by the way, the weather had been just gorgeous. This was end of September, right? Just mm-hmm. gorgeous. And they posted that flyer on the door. And it said, warning, snowstorm, <laughs> winter warning, snowstorm coming. Uh, we're expecting uh, 12 to 18 inches tomorrow in the park. And it's like, oh, my gosh. We're towing a drift boat behind us, too. And so we said, well, it looks like this is going to be our last day of fishing. (laughs) And we took off out of there that afternoon, beautiful sunny day. By the time we got to Jackson, the snow was flying. But, yeah, I mean, in one day, massive change in the weather system. I've seen that one there. Talking about springtime, Calvin Manning in West Richmond, Washington, he says, how early in the spring can you successfully access and fish the backcountry of Yellowstone? Again, it depends on the year, right? But what depends is what on the winter. On? Yeah, it yeah. depends on the winter beforehand. Depends on where you're going. You know, most of the park is above 5,000 feet in elevation. You know, that means if you put it back east, there'd only be a few mountain peaks that would be higher than what's in the park. But look at the weather. Look, like I tell people now, like Heart Lake Basin. If you're fortunate enough to go in there. It opens the 1st of July, but the fishing is going to depend on how how much snowfall there was the previous winter. If the snowfall were lacking or if it were not substantial, that lake is going to warm up, the streams are going to warm up, and the fish are going to be in deep water. But if you still got runoff to some degree in the streams, the lake is going to be cooler and the fish will be in the cooler water. That's where most of their food is. So it did. Pretty much depends on where you're going to go, where you're going to fish, and what kind of previous winter. You know, what was the uh, snowfall in the previous winter? Right, right. As far as equipment goes, do, do you take yak tracks or things like that, or or even snowshoes or anything to get back in those times of year? Do you find well, that there's a few times I wish I. Well, there's a few times I wish I had them, but. Usually what happens is when these places open up, if you walk through the timber, you can be in snow, you're post-holding through snow, but you get out in the open areas, and more likely they're not going to be dry. They're going to be kind of muddy and wet. But so much of it depends on the elevation of where you're going and even what kind of a previous winter you had. Right, right. Yeah. Jonathan Cooley, Oregon, he says, I'm going in May. What can I expect from flows and hatches? Since there are so many <laughs> options, which bank-wading rivers should I put at the top of my priority list? 
in Maine is places where you can't even get to, like a lot of the Fall River Basin places, uh, you know, like the Ashton Flag Road, which parallels the, the southwest boundary of the park. That won't even be open. It'll still be snowbound. Uh, you may mm-hmm. or may not get, be able to get in the Beckler Ranger Station. You most likely wouldn't be get, able to get into Slough Creek. In May, very little is open in the park. Maybe uh, some of the Madison River tributaries, South Fork of the Madison, maybe Duck Creek, Grayling Creek. Some of those may be open, but in general, everything else is at a higher elevation. And most of the big lakes are still going to be iced over in May. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a tough month is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about flies because, you know, you read a whole book about flies for the Yellowstone area, and you have a significant section in the uh, flies in, in your book here on fishing the backcountry. Do you find as you get further back in the backcountry, are the fish less selective? Are they more opportunistic? Or are they still real sensitive to the match of the hatch game? They're still sensitive to match of the hatch game. You know, so many times when you still get runoff in the stream, this is a general statement. Mm-hmm. The fish aren't going to come to the surface uh, to feed. If banks are still being eroded and things like grubs and earthworms get out, and if they're down, you know, things that are down closer to the bottom, there's something called the uh, first law of thermodynamics. It's called conservation of energy. And you got to realize these fish have been around for maybe a couple million years. And they've adjusted to that law of uh, conservation of energy. If they don't have to use energy to rise to the top of the water, they're going to sit there in the bottom and pick off things that are drifting along the bottom first because they're saving energy. You know, people don't mm-hmm. look at things like that. But when it comes to the point where you don't get the erosion or anything and there seems to be more food forms on the surface, of course, uh, giant stoneflies is the best example, yeah, then they'll come to the top. And when they do that, they're usually in shallower water because they expend less energy. You have to apply a little bit of physics sometimes to fly fishing. Okay, okay. A couple more questions came in on the Internet. Chuck in Placerville, California asks, what weight rods do you fish with in the backcountry? You can typically bring along like a six weight. It seems to be a universal thing, you know, for flies down to 18, size 18 and up to streamers. But when you get in the open country like the meadow areas, I usually like to jack up to about a, a seven weight if I'm pitching streamers or big dry flies, you know, like grasshopper mm. patterns or stonefly patterns. I'd go with a six weight in general, but if you plan to fish, say, a Beckler River type or a Slough River type stream, I might go with something a little bit heavier because you got wind, <laughs> you know, that you may be fighting. Mm-hmm. And that's the more reason for the heavier rod rather than... Uh, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because that seems kind of heavy for most of the fish around there, well, right, as far as size goes. Yeah. I've got a theory, and a lot of people disagree with it, I don't want to play a fish to death. You know, in the old days, you play a fish for 15, 20, maybe even 30 minutes or something. You let that fish go. The longer you play him, the less he has a chance to survive. If he's a large fish, I want him back in the gene pool. So, yeah, yeah if I yeah. use a little bit heavier rod, I can shorten down the distance that stresses him out or the time that stresses him out, put him back, and he has a better chance of survival and passing his genes on. That's my argument. <laughs> Yeah, I I was reading a book from 
Bill Horn, who I interviewed on my show too. He's he's a saltwater guy down in Florida, expert on tarpon and permits and bonefish and that kind of stuff. I was reading his book last night and I read something that was really hit me hard. He was talking about permit and he said that they figured out that about 30% of those fish die from catch and release. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't realize it was that high, but it's not just doing due to fatigue or lack of oxygen in the salt. Of course, it could be due to you know some predatory action by sharks afterwards that they're where they're vulnerable. But but I thought that was really high. Do you think it's that high in the trout world? I don't know. You'd have to talk to fisheries ballers for that. But the one yeah. thing you didn't mention was stress. Yeah, the stress. Yeah. Yeah, not just yeah. Uh, loss of energy, but also the stress that they go through. Right. So, yeah, I'd yeah. rather, I, you know, I'll go with a heavier weight rod, a heavier leader. If there's big fish around, I know I'm going to encounter them because I want them back in the gene pool. Right. Yep, yep. That's a good approach to take. Yeah. Again, on the Internet, another question came in from Kurt uh, asking, where can you find quality-sized trout besides Trout Lake? Fall River Basin. Fall River Basin. Back to Fall River Basin. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's off the beaten path, and there's no shops around, and they're going to tell you where to go and where to fish. But Fall River Basin, Heart Lake Basin, of course, Trout Lake, you know, like he mentioned, there's still some pretty good fish in Slough Creek, but there's probably more people than there are fish in there these days, you know. But, (laughs) you know, it's a shame. I remember back in the late 70s when I started fly fishing in the 80s, You'd walk up into those meadows and there'd be one or two other people and you'd go uh, by the wagon to Silvertip Ranch, you know, and that's all you'd see. Yeah. But yeah. I've last couple times I've been in Slough Creek, I've kind of like 40 cars in that parking lot. Oh, and that makes me say yeah. to hell with it. I'm going back down to some other places, the Upper Black River in Idaho, Fall River Basin, yeah. something, you know, one yeah. of those places. You know, you've lost yeah. your serenity. You've lost your tranquility. Right. And there's places that you can you. find it again. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Walker in Washington, he says, I'm planning to fish Yellowstone this fall. When is your favorite time for fall fishing? Favorite time or location? No, he said favorite time. Oh, I would say um, I'd say latter part of September. Uh-huh, yeah. Now, if you go again, you know, the big event – in the park and in the western Montana right next to it, of course, is a run of fish up to uh, you know, out of Hebgen Lake up into the Madison tributaries to spawn. But there's, there's so damn many people up there these days that it's not that great yeah. of an experience anymore. But, yeah, there's other places, and I'll mention Fall River Basin again. <laughs> you know, yeah. the Upper Blackfoot yeah. River in Idaho, for example, is a good one. Yeah, yeah. I think I just got a question here. Hold on here. Came in. You spell out the name of the horn. Oh, they want you to spell the name of the horn, the klaxon horn. I think people are having trouble finding it online. Yeah, I'd go to a Walmart or a marine supply place, but it's spelled C-L-A-X-O-N. Okay. okay. And most, a lot of people at boating have them, you know. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. bought mine at Walmart, you know, Walmart Sporting Goods. Okay, another one came in on the Internet. Packing into the thoroughfare to fish for 
seven nights and nine days, where would you go in? When would you go? Is there an outfitter you would recommend? <laughs> I did that once back in the 70s after I started fly fishing. And I was it was a four-day trip with me. And you do you go in there as early as possible, which means most likely the first part of July. And the fishing from the standpoint of catching was phenomenal. The fish weren't great because uh, they were jaded because they spawned. But if you want to get away from walking in there, like I did, there's dude ranches in Jackson Hole that cater to people. They'll take them in by pack trains, horses and everything. They'll, they'll go ahead and set you up, take you in, set up your camp, cook your meals, maybe to a certain extent guide you with respect to your fishing. Of course, it's all for a price. But what I would do is look at, I would go ahead and Google Jackson Hole dude ranches or Jackson Hole Outfitters, and then look at their websites and see if any of them do that. That would be the worst to do. Uh -huh. I've never done it. So, like I say, I've only been in there yeah. once, and, and uh, you know, I got sick of freeze-dried dinners, and I ate a few trout. <laughs> of course, it was legal back in those days. But, um, yeah, yeah I, uh, that's the best I can suggest for getting in there. Okay. Okay, Clark in Vermont wrote in and asked, what's a good backcountry trout fishing loop in Yellowstone? and what are go-to flies for September in the northeast corner of the park. So is there a loop you could suggest if you were trying to get a little taste of the the park? I did one once years ago. It was in August, and part of the fishing was good, and part of it was eh, thumbs down. We did a loop. We went into Heart Lake and, you know, skirted Heart Lake, then down down the river, down to where the Snake River confluence, and then out at the south entrance. And the fishing in Heart Lake that time of year and in the rivers and the streams was very slow. But once we get down the Snake River, we started catching Snake River fine spotted cocks. And that turned out to be eh, pretty good. But the earlier you can get in and do something like that, the better. I yeah. don't know of any real loop things that uh, – I can think of with respect to doing a loop unless you did something like go up Slough Creek and come down to Buffalo Fork, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you could do the uh, the canyon loop in Yellowstone Black Canyon, then down into, um, say, come out at Gardner, Montana, you know, do something like that. Take the, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the trail that goes down into the canyon and then skirt the canyon and come out. There's a bridge that you can cross down there. But that's the only thing I can think of, be fishing the Yellowstone. But usually early in the year, that's just full of runoff. You know, that'd be something you'd do yeah. probably in middle of July on through, you know, maybe maybe into September. Right, right. Mark Leonard in Vernon, Ohio, wrote in. He says, my wife and I are heading to Yellowstone first week in September this year, and we're going with an outfitter and riding back to the third meadow on Slough Creek. I hiked into the second meadow two years ago and, and fell in love with the place. Fishing was good, and with longhorn beetles being the most productive fly choice. What other hmm. patterns would you target that time of year? And then as a secondary question, are there any other small streams back there to explore? Buffalo, uh, Buffalo Fork, Buffalo Creek, you know, it comes in down by the campground. But I don't know of any other streams. I'd say any terrestrial patterns, your, your hoppers, your beetles, your ants. Uh -huh. you know, concentrate on those things. In the meadows, it's not really so much of a caddis stream. And by then, I don't know that much about Slough Creek, but a lot of the streams that are similar to it, 
most of the hatches are done. There may be a mahogany done or two, you know, something like that that's blown in from the wind. But uh, I'd go with the terrestrial insect patterns. Okay. Yeah, that time of year. Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, last uh, couple of questions, and we'll call it a night. About guides, Dennis Dutton in Houston, Texas, he says, whom should I contact to discuss a guided trip in October? Any guides you can mm -hmm. recommend? Uh, I would go to the West Yellowstone, have them Google the West Yellowstone fly shops or West Yellowstone fly fishing guides, you know, for one thing, for uh, – so you do the same thing in Jackson. You know, some of the shops uh -huh. do have guides and some of them don't. You know, like I think Blue Ribbon Flies, you know, it used to be Craig Matthews' shop. Now it's Cam Coffins. They'd be able to go in. What they're probably going to do is try to concentrate on the brown and rainbow trout runs out of Hedgen. But uh, there could be other things, too. But the best approach would be to Google the fly shop, West Yellowstone fly okay. shops, and you go through them. And the same thing for Jackson, the same thing for uh, – Gardner, Montana, and maybe even Cook City, Montana, too. Okay, uh, Jim Seven in Minturn, Colorado is going there in September. He needs a guide for two days. He wants to know how to get in touch with you. I don't guide. <laughs> I don't, I don't guide, guide yeah. but uh, I would suggest, like the other, you know, if he wants me to talk about the fishing in September, he can – He's got my email address. He can right. also, jimmy's at ida.net for Jimmy's All Seasons Angler. Jimmy can help you, and I can help him when he's yeah. down there. But, you know, yeah. so much of that, too, depends on what kind of a summer we've had. Has it been dry or has it been reasonably good rainfall? Or, you know, those kind of things. So it's a good idea not to take something in general. Look at the specific year and the seasons if right. he wants to get in there in September. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, it's time to wrap things up here. Stick with me here, Bruce, because we're going to give away your book. I want you to be there when we do that. And when we return, we're going to give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. We're also going to be giving away a copy of Bruce's book, like I said, Fly Fishing the Greater Yellowstone Backcountry, courtesy of Stackpole Book. So hang tight. We'll be right back and do just that. Okay. The Ugly Bug Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming, has been serving fly fishers in Wyoming and around the world since 1983. Their selection of top-of-the-line gear and a huge assortment of flies is one of the best in the land. All products are available in their fly shop and online. Looking for advice? Just give them a call, and their expert professional staff will help you with whatever you need. Visit Ugly Bug Fly Shop today at uglybugflyshop.crazyrainbow.net. So it's uglybugflyshop.crazyrainbow.net. Or call them at 866-845-9284, 866-845-9284. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on that and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away a few prizes. The winners of our drawings are randomly selected from a show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show, and then you have an opportunity of winning one of these prizes. And if you are the lucky winners, we'll contact you after the show to make arrangements for you to get your prize. So first off, we're giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. Again, flyfishersinternational.org. Hold on. Okay, almost made it, but not quite. 
back. Let me fire up the database here and have it pick someone for me. And it looks like we've got Elizabeth Cernak in Colorado. So Elizabeth, you are the winner of a one-year membership to Fly Fishes International. So congratulations. And now we're going to give away a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And again, that is published by Amato Books, amatobooks.com. Like to learn more about a products and publications Amato has, check them out. And here we have Steve Larson, Steve Larson in Utah. So, Steve, congratulations. You now will get a subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. Congrats to both of you. And now we'll give away Bruce's book. And, again, Fly Fishing, the Greater Yellowstone Backcountry. If you don't win, there is a link on our homepage to, where you can click through to get that book or other books by Bruce. So check those out. Uh, it's got a lot of great books on Yellowstone. So check those out. So the question is, Bruce mentioned one, two, three, four, four lakes that he recommended that you could go in and use a float tube on. Four lakes. Name two of them. Okay? Two lakes that he uh, suggested were good for float tubing. All right. So, Bruce, now what we have to do is wait for them to listen in. And then they're typing in. Okay, I see some. They're asking to repeat your email address. Could you repeat your email address again, Bruce? It's bstaples9740 at gmail.com. Okay. Okay, I'm waiting for... Okay, the first answer is Beulah Lake, Herring Lake, or Hidden Lake. He got one of them, but that's it, right? No, he got two of them. He did? Okay, yep. Beulah and... Oh, and Herring, actually, he yeah. Got, okay. He got three I, of them. He actually got three of them. Beulah and Herring on Yellowstone Park, Hidden Lakes in uh, in Montana. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, Silas Gray, long-time listener, you just got yourself a book from Stackpole, and so I hope you can visit Yellowstone and take good use of this. So, yeah, he, I think he spelled Herring a different way, and that's what set me off. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, good, good. Silas, send me your address. You can use the same form that you just used to answer the question, and then we'll get Stackpole and send you out a book. Thanks for all of you folks who played tonight and answered the questions and participated in the drawing. We appreciate it, and I hope you appreciate your prizes. Bruce, thank you so much for being with us tonight. It was a pleasure to talk with you, and uh, thanks so much for sharing all your, your knowledge over the years with that area. Appreciate it. Okay, well, thank you. Enjoyed it. All right. Yes, thank you. And then hopefully all of you have found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link on the top-line menu. In the archive, you're going to find all of our past shows, over 350 shows now. And you can search by keyword or keyword phrase or use the menuing system to find things on different topics. So check it out. I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised about all the, 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 the information we've got there. Uh, our next broadcast will be on January 19th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I will interview Paul Weimer. And our topic for the show will be bugs. Paul, a professional guide and author, having fished both the eastern and western United States, will teach us about bugs. Um, matching the hatch is always challenging, but Paul knows how to simplify it so that you can quickly and easily identify insects and pick the right fly to imitate them. Join us and learn entomology the easy way. Be sure to add this to your upcoming show, to your calendar, and 
we'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Elise Ferry Anglers, Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, Enrico Puglisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing for Video. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Well,